Right, folks, before we start the podcast, this is our conversation yesterday we had with Lesia Vasilenko, who is a MP in the Ukrainian parliament uh, and one of uh, a very prominent member indeed. She is the president of the Interparliamentary Union uh, and she's a founder of a NGO called Legal 100, which was founded to support injured soldiers from the uh, conflict in Crimea and the annexation and some of the details. So needless to say, you would won't be you surprised to hear that um Lesia falls on one side of this argument absolutely we are going to return to the topic on monday with someone another ukrainian um, mp to discuss another, the other aspects of it but we will we, you know we, we try to give a, a fair uh, account of of Lesia's opinions and i think we did that um, i think we allowed to put them forward and we we also address some other issues Generally, we'd keep this back behind the paywall for a bit longer, but we're popping it out now because it's timely. Um, and I was really annoyed about the the level of um, discourse and some of the other things where we ha- we were listening to people who weren't on the ground in Ukraine telling us about the events. So um, I'm hoping other people will take a leaf out of the book and listen, uh, maybe go to the source as opposed to the the convenient. Uh, if you could please support us, it's patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack. It's the, it's it's the couple of quid you give us that actually enable us to to reach out and find these other sources, these other guests that you just don't hear elsewhere. Um, and it really, really helps. We are still covering, as I said, the bloody Sunday 50th anniversary this week. If you're not a member, you've already missed our, um, I'm going to say, really, really good conversation sitting in the free Museum of Free Dairy with Aoife Grace Moore. Um, we recorded is also with Colin Harvey. Uh, there's a lot of detail there coming up as well. And we've um, we we did a little walk of the streets of Derry with Tony Doherty himself. Uh, you've missed those, and you've missed out on, on a new police. So please, uh, Patreon.com forward slash Tortoiseshack. Join us, and you'll have those in your inbox. Is access to nearly 800 at this stage additional podcasts. Thanks. Enjoy the pod. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves, and we are back uh, sooner than we thought, Martin. We were in, we were supposed to be covering the 50th anniversary Bloody Sunday all this week, um, but events, dear boy, events have meant that we have to cover the, the news much more than we than we anticipated. And these are some serious events. Yeah, yeah, they are, and it's kind of blown up quite a lot over the last 48 hours in Ireland. I know it's been rumbling on in in other parts of Europe for a long time, but in well, Ireland, it's come into focus. Well, where we're focusing now, it's been it's it came into global focus in 2013, and many people kind of decided when the when it happened and when the annexation of Crimea happened, we all kind of moved on. But the world, but that's not how it works, and we are absolutely thrilled. To be joined by a member of the Ukrainian Parliament, she's a member. She's a member of Voice, which is an oppositional party. She's also the founder of Legal One Hundred, which is an NGO for for military people who are affected by some of the issues that happened um, around the annexation as well. And she is the president of the Inter Interparliamentary Union, which is one of the oldest unions in in the Ukrainian Parliament. Um, we we have. Joined by Lesia Vasilenko. Lesia, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. Thank you for actually organizing this call and this conversation. It's an important topic we're going to cover today. We absolutely are. And uh, before, if, if before we ask a few questions, I've seen some of the. You've done a little bit of press yourself. I've been reading some of the things that you've said. Um, can you give me just your kind of overview, if you don't mind, of of where the situation is today in Ukraine and how people feel, you feel that, that everybody thinks where we stand? Because we hear 
in the West and in in the in the EU and in in, in Ireland we hear about you know um, shadow shadow boxing going on, but it's much more than that on the ground. I'm sure. Right. So on the ground, there are a lot of mixed feelings and a lot of emotions flying high. Uh, The media actually has a very important role to play in all of this. So, of course, uh, the buildup of Russian troops on the borders with Ukraine continues and is the main reason for this um, very tense, uh, emotionally tense situation in the country, and I'm sure uh, all over Europe and in the United States. Um, uh, but uh, we have to understand that uh, this buildup of troops around Ukraine and on the Ukrainian-Russian borders has been happening since uh, spring last year. And the other thing that has to be really well understood is that Ukrainians have been living in this state of war for seven years going on eight now. Uh, so uh, the population over here in Kiev and across other cities of Ukraine uh, stands um, united in uh, being ready to meet the Russian threat whenever it uh, can come in a uh, more robust manner than we are living in uh, for almost a decade now. Uh, but at the same time, um, there uh, the population is also divided in the way that uh, there's one group who is uh, ready, was uh, packed overnight bag with all the essentials uh, to to move. And uh, the other side of the story is people who are ready to take up weapons and go out there to the east or to wherever there uh, may be an uh, attack on Ukraine. This is this is like you know, that's a very big statement to say that people are ready to like we we covered in great detail um, the the events that happened with the latest attack on Gaza um, early last year. Um, and we saw and we, we were recording when missiles were landing. And it's very bloody real when you talk about in, in, in those terms. Is there a sense of, of and, you know, is there a sense that this can actually now be prevented diplomatically, politically and, and within within geopolitics? Or does or does it just feel like that 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 we've maybe hit a, reached a tipping point? Well, I personally don't think that uh, Ukraine will be suffering from an uh, all-encompassing, all-in Russia attack. Uh, That would be too much, uh, even for Russia, even for Putin, uh, since that would just uh, break all hell loose and start World War III, basically. uh, the attacks that may happen would be localized, localized around the unprotected uh, sections of the Ukrainian border. But again, we're talking in terms such as may and might. Uh, what will really happen and if anything will happen, there's only one person who knows that, and that is the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin. There is no way uh, anyone can predict what's going on in his head and uh, what kind of strategy and tactics uh, he will adopt and what his next steps will be. There's a, there's a lot of theories, Martin. I just want to put, posit some of the theories that you hear that, you know, um, Vladimir Putin has obviously stretched himself thin in terms of his influence with, within, you know, there's uprisings in Belarus, there's up, there's issues with, with um, people in, in Kazakhstan in an uprising. And, you know, and 
there's also then domestic problems, and maybe some of this is is, is theatre to uh, to deflect from that. But at the same time, as you as you rightly point out, uh, Ukraine has been under this shadow for nearly eight years. So one of the theories is he's doing this to deflect from domestic issues. The other one is that there's also a, a larger game. And I know again, um, in your impressive CV, you've written about. Um, the oligarchs and the use of uh, of fossil fuels and that and one of the others is you know that that that, that is a, a problem and it will be very much an EU problem should should there be issues with um, the supply of gas and, and natural gas for, for for this what how do you, what do you think of of those sort of ideas that are out there right so when we're talking about security threats in Europe it's not just like the imminent threat of um, Russian tanks and Russian missiles crossing over into Ukraine. Uh, but uh, security has many dimensions. It has the energy dimension, the environmental dimension, humanitarian dimension, and so on and so forth. So all of these have to be accounted in because we live in uh, uh, an era where um, uh, security can be breached by a variety of instruments. And uh, energy uh, blackmailing and threats are essentially is one of them. So what Russia is doing now by building this Nord Stream, uh, Stream 2 pipeline uh, is essentially um, making Europe dependent uh, on the uh, Russian gas. And such a dependence means that then further manipulations, further threats, further blackmailing will be possible and will be imminent coming from Moscow. Uh, what actually puzzles me is the reaction uh, we have uh, from Germany. Uh, Germany, which is so often uh, publicly speaking up against uh, um, the threats of authoritarian regimes, uh, which knows well on their own example uh, what it is to live in a totalitarian regime. Uh, I'm referring here, of course, to oh, we, the we, regime of World War II. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, basically, uh, on uh, being at the end of the day, complete hypocrites uh, by allowing this Nord Stream uh, 2 pipeline to go ahead, knowing well enough that they are actually uh, putting, making themselves vulnerable, but also all of Europe vulnerable to uh, Russian uh, manipulations in the future. And um, so this kind of aspect and uh, the way that Germany has been treating Russia and has been actually strengthening its relationship with Russia uh, is a complete uh, mystery to me. And honestly, I think that uh, there should be more um, international efforts to sort of unite around uh, Ukraine, which is essentially the only block post for democracy in Eastern Europe at this point in time, and is actually fighting this war and fighting off Russian aggression uh, in the name of every single other uh, Western European country. In Ireland. It has come to the fore recently because there is going to be military exercises off the coast of Cork. I think it's next week. So um, in the last 48 hours, it has really exploded in Irish media and on Irish social media. There seems to be pressure from certain groups within Ireland that Ireland should forego our neutrality and become members of NATO. And that seems to be the, the push from certain quarters. What are your feelings on that? For Ireland as a neutral country to join NATO um, with Ukraine as the circumstance that allows that? 
Well, Ireland has uh, its own not so simple history uh, with its neighbors. Uh, I actually have to admit that I'm not aware of the status of the situation right now, uh, unfortunately, but I will look into it and read into it some more. Uh, however, uh, when we're talking about Ukraine, uh, Ukraine simply cannot afford a neutral status next to uh, such a neighbor as Russia. Uh, Ukraine is, at this point in time uh, is uh, exerting uh, tremendous efforts uh, to uh, change its military, uh, to change its uh, defense and security setup to be eventually admitted into NATO. Of course, the border disputes with Russia do not help us and um, all NATO member countries uh, are very clear about this, that unless and until uh, we sort out our uh, border disputes and our uh, conflicts over territory, uh, there's no way Ukraine uh, can be admitted as a full, fully-fledged uh, NATO member. But, but, on the, uh, but, on, so, but on the flip side of that, Ukraine also, I mean, Ukraine has said they one of Putin's fears is positive is that Ukraine will join NATO because you know the, the currently you've I I think it was the U.S. administration said they're going to send somewhere between one thousand and eight thousand troops to to countries bordering effectively the Ukraine, um, not to the Ukraine to to NATO countries, and they added a sentence that we could be up to ten times that as well, which is which is you know when you add that little um, caveat at the end, that's a substantial amount of troop movement, um, but it also means that if if there's territory taken, that is that is deemed international law, that's illegal. Um, so, so you know, there is Ukraine has got that in its favor, and uh, but but I suppose it's a game of brinksmanship here because you've said that there are territories that are exposed, um, and that you know Ukraine most definitely needs the support of the EU and its partners to to do those because if they want to resolve those border disputes that you that you um to that you've alluded to and and you know maybe join NATO. That doesn't happen without the support of, of I'm going to say use a phrase like Big Brother, in a way. Well, uh, there's a couple of things here. So, first of all, uh, until Ukraine becomes uh, a member of NATO, it's really crucial that we strengthen uh, bilateral and multilateral uh, relations with uh, NATO members, such as the US, such as the UK, and whatever other country uh, is willing and has the resources to help us out in um, uh, withstanding uh, against Russian aggression. Uh, and uh, all these countries that I've mentioned, and uh, a lot more actually, uh, are helping Ukraine, not because of their sort of uh, charitable feelings or uh, because they want to show the world how uh, powerful they are and that they can provide the help. No, that's not the case. Uh, the help that Ukraine is getting now essentially is an investment into uh, security in Europe. The help that Ukraine is getting now uh, in uh, military supplies, in humanitarian aid, in uh, training, in uh, common military exercises, uh, this is all so that um, soldiers of NATO countries do not actually have to come here into Ukrainian territory and fight off the biggest army in Europe and uh, one of the top three biggest armies in the world. So this has to be absolutely clear. Uh, 
Uh, and in terms of uh, potential Ukraine-NATO membership, uh, we are stuck in this sort of like chicken or egg situation in this closed circle where it's like sort out your conflict and then uh, be admitted. But then the conflict happened uh, and Russian aggression happened uh, because Ukraine wanted to be admitted into NATO. The same as Georgia, by the way, because Ukraine is not the only country that Russia is exerting aggression over and uh, where Russia has uh, deliberately made territorial claims. Georgia is in the same exact same situation and has been in it even for longer since 2008. Um, just, Martin, I'll let you come in. I just want to make one point on that. And it's that um, Vladimir Putin himself did make the comment, I think almost he's been in power so long, it's hard to know anymore. Um, but he made he made a comment about one of the biggest regrets about the breakup of the old Soviet Union was that there are Russian people who can no longer identify as Russian. And this was part of the 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 divide and rule tactic as well. Whether you believe in the this the, the but but we have to believe in democracy. So this is really a battle of democracy versus autocracy. And I'm sorry, Martin, you you're free to make your point, but I, I do see there are elements of, of where we, we need to we need to call that out as well because you know, the the, the democratic, um, we're, we, you mentioned uh Lesia not being familiar with Ireland um situation at the moment. We have we have the potential of in some in my lifetime a border poll to reunite Ireland and it'll be 50 plus one. You know, we need 50% of the population plus one to make that happen. So that's 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 democracy. Whereas some of the statements from Putin for, for going back over years and years and years have been very clear about some of that doesn't actually hold water. So go ahead, Martin. I just wanted to ask about the the military exercises off the coast of Cork. Is there actually a threat there? Myself and Tony were just discussing this earlier. If it was the Dutch military or even the American Navy, um, there wouldn't be much said about it. Is it time? Is it timing? Is it context? Uh, is there an actual threat or is it just muscle flexing? Um Depends on where you look at. So uh, uh, I must say immediately, I'm not uh, a military expert, uh, but I consult a lot of military experts. So uh, if we look at the situation uh, in the east of Ukraine, on the uh, borders and on the contact line of Luhansk and Donetsk regions, these are the regions which are partly occupied, temporarily occupied by Russia, uh, there, the military exercises from uh, the Russian side look like just simple training. Uh, the military generals who I have spoken to say that it does not look like they are going to attack from these sides uh, because there's, for example, just random snipers shooting at random things, not at particular concrete uh, military objects. Uh, then again, there's a possible uh, build-up around uh, other sections of the Ukrainian-Russian border, uh, which is thousands of miles long, and not all of these sections are protected. Essentially, what you have to know and understand about the Ukrainian-Russian border, as well as the Ukrainian-Belarusian border, is that um, it's just stretches and stretches of field without any kind of demarcation, without any kind of like fences or other structures. Um, there's uh, no... Um, 
military personnel standing there there's no posts there's nothing mm. so literally if you wanted to cross uh, for example uh the border from uh Kharkiv, which is another city in the east of ukraine uh bordering with russia there would be uh, uh sorry not city a region uh, there would be like no problem because there's stretches uh, of hundreds of miles long, completely unprotected, and uh, of just like latent fields. I I'm gonna I I think actually it's really interesting that people need to understand that you can walk backwards and forwards same way we cross the border to to the, the north of Ireland. We don't see any border infrastructure. We just cross over. Um, so so it's it's an open border, and I'm a bit of an open borders guy myself. So you know, but we would rather it be in term in times of peace. I'm gonna ask you something that maybe. You, you, that is a little bit off kilter, but Martin referred to the exercises 150 miles off the Irish coast. Um, what I what worries me from an, putting on the you mentioned earlier environmental concerns that worries me from from an environmental concern as well because obviously we're going to have live missile testing. You're going to have every other navy in the world will want to be in the water to monitor what's going on, and you will have one of the areas that that uh, like off the off the coast of Cork now has become a very popular destination for whale watching people seeing dolphins and all of these things and they they migrate through it all the time and these cetaceans they will die like we will see you know um it's it's an environmentally destructive thing that 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 goes on and i i, I maybe i know it's 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 small it's it's not in the context of this wider debate that we're having i think there's there has to be someone has to say well look even as martin said if that's just flexing there are repercussions for this when you do that on an environmental, and that is that is also a form of um, aggression. Well, that's the thing with wars, right? Uh, they destroy things. Uh, once you're in a war, uh, 100% that the consequence will be um, everything around you destroyed, starting with, with houses which will be hit by uh, uh, missiles, uh, government buildings, uh, and of course the environment. And the environment is probably something which uh, will incur um, these consequences for the longest of times, uh, because the, the the remains of the missiles, the shrapnels, they, they they are left there. The mines, if we're talking about Ukraine, the territory of the east of Ukraine is covered in uh, thousands uh, of uh, landmines. Um, on the side which is not controlled by Ukraine, which is controlled by Russia at the moment, uh, uh, we don't even know the exact location of these mines. So you can imagine uh, even uh, once the war is over and say the uh, population which has been internally displaced, uh, the millions of uh, uh, IDPs, internally displaced persons, uh, flowing back, coming back to their homes, uh, they will end up uh, not uh, having uh, the the welcome of of a very safe environment, of a very safe home, um, because there's of course the risk of uh, you know uh, being blown up on these landmines. Then there's also the uh, the longer consequences of what uh, these rem- remains of um, war uh, will do to the soil and then to to the water which uh, yep. comes into the rivers, which is then used by by the homes. And in Ukraine, the biggest environmental risk uh, which is already happening as we speak is the. Uh, 
uh, coal mines, which are getting flooded. Uh, the two regions which are occupied, the Nyetsk and Luhansk region, uh, they essentially made up the industrial heart of Ukraine. It's where all the natural resources were located, where the coal mines were located, where the metallurgic sector thrived. Uh, the old name, the first name for the city of Donetsk, which is now occupied, it was actually uh, Yuzovka. And Yuzovka is, uh, comes from uh, the name of John Hughes, who was a Welshman yeah. who came to uh, Ukraine back in the 19th century and was the first guy to start digging coal there and to build uh, industry in that city. And actually, uh, Donetsk, or Yuzovka, as it was then called, was the home of uh, a lot of people from uh, Wales, England, I imagine even Ireland probably. And uh, at this point in time, uh, the, these industrial uh, cities uh, have been either abandoned and the coal mines uh, that are there and the occupied territories, they have been left uh, to, to their own means to sort of deteriorate in the natural environment, uh, which means that there's flooding of the mines and there's a rising of the waters uh, and this water is getting contaminated, then it goes into soil, then it yep. goes uh, this groundwater. It poisons, it poisons the water table. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's it's no. I just you painted a really bleak picture because that's what we talk about when we you, we only have to talk about the impact of war and how we saw it in. A really simple thing that we all listeners will remember is depleted uranium shells been used in in wars in the Middle East, and the and the fact that there was birth de defects years later from from some of these things and how they create that. Sorry, Martin, go on ahead. I, I wanted to ask. You know, we we've, we've talked about resolution. We've talked about the natural resources. We have talked about the about NATO. We've talked about the exercises and the border. But there are so many moving parts in this. What in the short term? would be the ideal result for Ukraine at the moment? And is there um, agreement between the opposition and the government on what is the best short-term, medium-term, long-term result? Unfortunately, there's uh, no agreement between opposition and government. And that's the saddest thing in the situation that Ukraine is in. Because the opposition is uh, pushing, as we speak, uh, parliament is sitting, and in almost every speech that is being made by our fellow members of my party and of other opposition parties, we refer back to the threat uh, which is gathering in the form of a Russian army on the Ukrainian borders. And uh, we strongly call on the president, the presidential party and the government to start taking action and uh, to uh, start uh, taking uh, these threats seriously and start mobilizing uh, the resources in the country and from outside the country. Um, However, it, uh, si since the first uh, information uh, about uh, the 127,000 Russian troops on the Ukrainian borders, we have uh, two months that have passed. And it's only yesterday that the president has finally called uh, the National Security Council on this matter. Um, so as the population stands united and ready to fight off whatever form uh, the Russian threat will take next, um, the top tier leadership of the country is still being very much relaxed about it. I, uh, I, I, I kind of, I, like, I think it was, it was a fair question for Martin. I, I, I know, like, 
expect you'd, you'd expect the opposition and the, the government to not get along. But in, in, in times that you would like to see some sort of united front. And I've I've read some of your stuff where you are calling for unity um, in, in, in many situations. Is there room? Is there nuance there that we can, you know, that there is a space? And I say this again, we're going to con- contextualize this in, in terms of, um, of, of Ireland. Um, we were speaking to people in the last 24 hours who identify as as a nationalist people and there are people who identify as as loyalists in the UK will will even though they live in they live in on the island of Ireland they will they will identify as British and we have to find a space for all of those people to share the island is there is there any nuance in this debate because it's been even though it the hostilities have been going on for 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 a few months this has been going on for much longer than that as you said Leslie it's it's years on the rise and it looks to me that there you know like again i'm going to ask the same same question is there a political solution that you feel that can satisfy people is there a middle ground well, uh, I'm happy to say that despite uh, these uh, uh, discrepancies between opposition and government, uh, the population of Ukraine is uh, in the majority united. Mm. Uh, united in the fact that uh, Ukraine is a sovereign country which is fighting for uh, its own uh, right. And we are legitimate in our demands. We uh, know what we are standing for and what we are fighting for. Uh, Ukrainians are fighting for uh, their homes, uh, the right of their children and their families to live uh, in a safe, independent Ukraine. And at the end of the day, uh, it's Ukrainians standing united in defense of of what's ours. Um, so when uh, we would, or if you would ever be talking to, to anyone from Russia, there will be a big question, what are you guys fighting for? Um, and uh, once uh, wars break out and battle breaks out uh, in the theater of war, there are casualties. That's imminent as well. That, that's a consequence. This is what happens in war. Uh, and um, as uh, the casualties of war uh, increase, it becomes more and more difficult for aggressive states and for those who attack to explain to their population what is going on there and why so many of their men and women are coming back in coffins or uh, with injuries uh, that basically uh, make them disabled, make the people disabled for life. Uh, It's a whole different story when it's a nation fighting for their sovereign right. And this is the situation in Ukraine. This is why the people here are united and have this uh, calm and uh, in a way maybe even relaxed demeanor when it comes to countering the threat of Russian aggression. Last thing for me, um, what would you like the EU to do uh, as the opposition? I know that the the government is, is I suppose, uh, keeping their, their powder dry at the moment or are not moving as quickly as the opposition would like. But what would the opposition like the EU to do? Right. This is the point where I put on my pink colored glasses and uh, start reading. Okay. So the wish list uh, from uh, a Ukrainian uh, opposition member of parliament. 
so really, uh, it's my firm belief that the only thing that will stabilize the situation uh, in Ukraine and also uh, the security situation in a wider Europe uh, will be admitting Ukraine into NATO. There are ways around the NATO agreement and uh, there are caveats which can be used to actually make sure that uh, Ukraine uh, gets admitted as a full-on NATO member. Uh, it's important that uh, these uh, ways are explored, discussed and eventually implemented. Actually, admitting Ukraine into NATO will be the only thing that will also stabilize the relationship of all EU countries and America with Russia. Um, because once the decision is made, uh, the deal will be done. That's that's that. There will be nothing else to fight for. Um, in terms of the EU, um, the EU can do one thing to uh, hold, uh, make sure that Russia hold, holds back in uh, its aggressive actions and its sanctions. The sanctions need to be continued and uh, they need to be reinforced whenever Russia is uh, starting to play hard again and starts to uh, move in with the troops or with threats of military action against Ukraine. Uh, there, I know there has been a lot of discussion that, oh, sanctions, do they really help? They actually uh, hurt the economy of the countries which uh, introduced the sanctions. Uh, sanctions do harm. Um, sanctions irritate the Russians. Uh, sanctions have an impact on the people uh, in the entourage of Vladimir Putin, who uh, also play a role in Russia's economy and the decision-making in the country. And uh, sanctions have a limiting effect. And if it was like my dream come true, I would say that whenever uh, there's a push for and a talk about sending over troops uh, from Russia to invade more parts of Ukrainian territory, uh, there should be an immediate switch off of Russia from the international banking system, the SWIFT. And that will have immediate effect. Yeah, I... Um... I think when when we when we say sanctions, I think what listeners need to understand is you've 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 said it in the last sentence there. If you target oligarchy in sanctions, you will have immediate effects because they they hold the levers of power in many ways, and it's not you know um, sanctions in in certain in certain places where where we penalise people who are already poor. Or I I I don't support. But but punishing where the money is and where the people who who exercise power, absolutely, I I think that's that's where where we can target them. Um, I just want to point out for listeners' benefit, I'm we're, I'm not naive enough to think that. By the way, Martin, you pointed out about Russia having um these these live missile testing off the Irish coast. American plane warplanes fly in and out of Shannon all the time, folks. They fly in and out. We we we. we we had the conversation about Ireland's neutrality. I don't know how neutral neutral we really are when they they fly in. They're not allowed. You know, we don't document them except for outside of Shannon Watch. Um, they they don't pay the fees that that normal you know normal um, uh, domestic and and private companies pay. And that's the use Shannon. So we, is our neutrality really real? I don't know. I leave that up to you to debate. But I do think we we you know we 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 can't have we have to admit that double standard there as well as in an Irish context. We 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 can't say we're not we're not impartial. Um, Lesia, I look. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, we will be monitoring this uh, a lot more closely than we have been. Um, we, we, as I said to Martin at the start, we thought we were going to have a quiet week. Clearly, clearly, we won't. Um, 
but I, I suppose the la- the very very last comment I'd like I'd like from you is 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 simply um, the you keep saying that Ukraine is united. I I I put it to you that the that the only the one your biggest wish your first thing you asked for was um, NATO membership. That is the ultimate. Uh, that is that is literally the thing that I think Vladimir Putin wants to avoid. That is his big thing that that says no. That so we what where we have a deficit of leadership. Is that where the 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 the, the solution is? Just get that done, and then then it all has to then then everybody has to stand down because then you're now a NATO member. Right. So it's not I make it sound easy, but it's not easy because there will be a lot of struggle around that. And of course, you said it yourself. Uh, so uh, Putin is already uh, working against it and has been working against it for uh, for decades now um, because he sees uh, that admitting Ukraine, Georgia or any other uh, Eastern European country into NATO is actually uh, threatening uh, the his dream of of uh, building a big Russian empire and um, basically controlling uh, controlling the population and all these countries around Russia. Um, but again, uh, he will uh, he will of course fight off uh, this decision and this possibility in any way possible. Uh, and it's the struggle, it's the price that we have to pay, and the the walk that we have to walk. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's uh, it's about democracy. At the end of the day, it's about freedoms. Uh, and there's one thing that Ukrainians value most, and it's freedom and the possibility to exercise free will. This has been historically so. It's enshrined in our genes, and uh, we uh, cannot live without it. Uh, this is what we are also fighting for. And it's also the freedom to uh, make our own choices and choice to join or not join NATO uh, is one which every sovereign country should be allowed to make freely. Uh, It's not NATO which chooses countries, it's countries which choose NATO. Lesia, thank you very much for coming on, having this conversation with us today. Uh, It's been enlightening and hopefully we'll get back to you soon with uh, a better conversation than we're having at the moment about Ukraine. Thank you for taking the time to have this conversation with us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And I hope that it shines some light on what is going on over here and uh, what the possible developments in Ukraine uh, can be. And it, it, it's, it, it certainly has. We, we, we will be returning to this topic. Absolutely, we will. Um, and we appreciate you taking the time. We are covering, as I said, the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday, folks. That, so there's more interviews coming on that uh, throughout the week. Um, but we will be keeping an eye on this. And I know it sounds, it sounds silly, but I do I want to point at one thing at the end. Um, as a failing of our own government, we have these things called MPAs, Marine Protected Areas, uh, and with, with our marine protected areas, if we'd enforce them when we said we would, uh, the Russians wouldn't be allowed to do these exercises off our coast because we would have we would be able to protect these these waters for our um, cetaceans and for our whales and dolphins and all the rest of it. So that's a failing of our own government. And I know it's minor, but I got to keep banging the drum. The environmental damage needs to actually be called out as well. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you all very, very soon. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony. Speaking to interesting people only, it's the Echo Chamber Podcast.
podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.